Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Today is Palm Sunday. So we're going to talk about pictures of Palm Sunday, pictures of Palm Sunday. I want, to, I want you not to just hear it, but I want you to see it today. How many of you love to take pictures? Oh, yes, you do. I follow some of you on social media. You're snapping pics for everything. Our culture loves pictures, do we not? I mean, some of you remember, you remember the, how the, the cell phone has evolved? Remember we went from like pagers, remember the, the beepers? You had your, oh, you got a pager. And the next thing you know, you get a cell phone. It's no longer in a bag with a cord. How many remembers that day? It had like a backpack. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're going camping or something if you had a portable cell phone. Now we've got these, these, these cell phones, these smartphones is what they call them. I still am convinced that you are smarter than your phone, all right? But we put cameras in these smartphones, and we just, you can take quality pictures with a cell phone. You know, 15 years ago, that was unheard of. And now everybody is taking pictures. We take a thing called selfies. How many love selfies? Yeah, we take pictures of everything that we celebrate. Uh, we had prom last weekend, and so, man, I'm posting pictures of these kids that are growing up way too fast. Everything. We take pictures, and we celebrate everything. I want to give you several pictures. I want to give you three pictures of Palm Sunday, and I want to tie this together. I want to talk to you about three things Three events that happened in John chapter 12, and I want you to consider the timeline of these events because what we'll talk about is familiar to most of you, but I don't know if you realize that that these events happen back to back to back within about a 12 to 18 hour span. So I want you to join me in John chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Now, to give you some background, in the previous chapter in John 11, we know the famous passage of Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was the, the brother of, of Mary and Martha. And the Bible says Jesus was close friends with this family. It was significant that Lazarus was raised from the dead because he was the only surviving male relative of these sisters. And so now that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, financial security and strength is coming back to the family. So this is the context here in John chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says six days, somebody say six days, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. This perfume was made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. Now, get this picture in your mind. You're seeing Jesus at the home of close friends. A meal has been prepared, and Mary does something very unique. She takes this expensive jar of perfume, and she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus and then wipes his feet with her hair. The Bible says the house was filled with with the fragrance. 
But Judas Iscariot, now Judas was one of the disciples. He was one of the 12. And many of you knew, you know that what's about to happen here. Judas is about to betray Jesus in the hours ahead. There's already a plan that's in place. Judas, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, wait a second. That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Now look at verse 6. I love the commentary that the Bible gives on this story. Not that Judas cared for the poor, but he was a thief. Come on, somebody. He was a crook. He was a, a criminal. And since uh, he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. How I many know the Bible knows our motives? God speaks right to the heart of a man. The Bible says he didn't care about the poor. But he was a thief, and he often took from the treasury that the disciples had given. Verse 7, Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Can I have a good amen? The first passage I want us to see here, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down somewhere. I want to talk to you about the perfume. The perfume. And when we speak of perfume, I want you to see the value. Uh, Interesting, you know, some some facts that I looked up as it relates to fragrance. I mean, and this is is proven, okay? So you can can look this up because Google always tells the truth. But the facts of fragrance, number one, women always smell better than men. Some of you don't agree with that. Yeah, I pick up uh, some of Trevor's friends. And when his buddies get in my car, how many know boys smell like wet puppies all the time? <laughs> now, my girls, they, I pick up their friends, and I feel like I've been to, like, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond or something, you know? Interesting here. The Bible says that this jar of perfume that Mary had, and we've got a little jar here, and I don't know if this is anywhere close to what she had. But the Scripture says that there was value on this jar of perfume. The Bible tells us it's worth a year's wages. How many thinks that that's a pretty important bottle? I don't know what you make in a year, but I want you to think about it. If you were to put that price tag on this jar of perfume, how many of you would pay close attention to where this jar was? Yeah, You know, they say the average income in Louisiana is $45,000. So let's just say this jar of perfume is worth $45,000. Let me ask you this question. Would you spend all of your earnings in a single year on one person in one place at one moment? How many things? That's probably not a wise idea. You know, according to conventional wisdom, you know, we wouldn't do something so extravagant in a moment. I mean, you know, in in just a moment, we're going to see Judas's response. I mean, uh, sometimes we demonize him, but, man, I think all of us are guilty in some moment, some experience. We think, wait a second, that's kind of wasteful. Why would you do that? What Mary did that, that afternoon, that evening in her house to Jesus, it didn't make any sense. But sometimes love doesn't make sense. Sometimes when you know what the Lord has done for you. How many of you, your life didn't make sense, but then you met Jesus? Now, now Mark's gospel says something, and I think this is really interesting. We we find a version of this story in other gospels too. And there are different elements that kind of come into play. The Bible says that Mary 
took this jar, this expensive jar, and she didn't just open it, but she broke it. She broke the flask, and she anointed Jesus with what was on the inside. You know, there's a difference. You can open something, and if you open it, you can close it. Some of us, our lives have been opened, and then we've closed them back. If you just open it, then you can shut it again. But when you break it, come on, somebody. When you break something, you can't help how it comes out. Come on, am I talking to anybody? You see, and what I, what I understood is I read this again this week. I prayed, Lord, I don't want to just be open because if I open, then I can close. How many know we can come to church, we can open the jar, say, Jesus, come on in, and then on, that's Sunday, but then Monday, we can just put that cork back in the jar and live like we used to live. You know, Jesus doesn't want us to just be open. He wants the flask to be broken where what's on the inside comes out. And, man, there is no containing that. Uh, I want to challenge us as a church. Don't be open on Sunday and closed on Monday. When, when God comes into your life, I pray that he wrecks you. Come on, somebody. Man, there is no going back to what you used to do or the things you were a part of or how you used to be. When God breaks the seal, parents, I want to challenge all of us that we don't just treat church as casual. Parents who treat church as optional shouldn't be surprised when their kids grow up and eventually treat Jesus as unnecessary. See, I don't want to just be open to Jesus when it's convenient. Come on, can I have a better amen? I want him to come in. I want him to break me. I want him to wreck me. I want him to change me, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime. Come on, if you believe that, put your hands together. Mary's life had been so transformed by the presence of Jesus she said, you know what, I'm not just going to open it. I'm going to break it, and I'm going to give him everything. My question, have you opened up your life? Have you been broken in every area of your life? Have you surrendered your life from top to bottom to Jesus? I, I, I don't want to go back. I, I can't go back. How many know there's nothing to go back to? Jesus saved me, he healed me, he delivered me, he set me free. Why on earth would I go back to the way I used to be? When Jesus changed me, he changed me forever. Didn't just change the way that I think, he changed the way that I speak, he changed my priorities. He changed my values. Come on, somebody say value. You see, perfume has, this jar represents value. Mary said, Jesus is worth it. But Judas said, what a waste. Come on now. How many of you have ever been told you are wasting your time going to that church? Oh, you, oh, you caught this religious bug. All right, we'll give you about two or three weeks. You'll be back. Come on. How many know when you go back to old friends, you go back to old sins? Ooh. Oh, you're not hearing me today. Judas said, what a waste. You know, when I was in college, I was trying to determine what direction my life would take. And I, I love the Lord, but I never considered going into full-time ministry something that I would do. In fact, I actually said the opposite. 
I would lead a Bible study of some of the athletes on the basketball team. And, and so afterwards, I, they'd say, hey, you know, Mike, that was really good. Maybe you should consider going into ministry. You know what I told them? I will never preach the gospel. <laughs> can, I, can I help you? Don't ever tell God you'll never do something. How many know God has a sense of humor? I think he sits up in the heavens and laughs sometimes. Oh, ne- really? You say you'll never. Yeah, I'll never preach the gospel. I'd come out of some church experience, had a little church hurt. Come on, somebody. Man, I felt, felt a little wounded, didn't really trust pastors or church leadership. I said, I'll never preach the gospel. God's like, okay, we'll see about that. And I went through this process of, you know, this transformation in my own soul. The things that I used to love, I no longer love. The thing I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life doing. Man, I was all about sports. I was all about success. I was all about achievement. But when I got transformed, my values changed. My priorities changed. My perspective changed. I'm about to graduate from college with a degree in computer science, and all of my professors are saying, you need to go into the IT industry. You need, here's all these job opportunities. I mean, the computer age back in the 90s was just starting to take off, and so they were recommending me to be a part of these business adventures, and I said, you know what? My heart's not in it. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go back to Baton Rouge. I'm going to work at a little church called Healing Place Church. I mean, it was Trinity Christian Center at the time. Had maybe just a handful of people. What are you going to do there? Well, I'm going to work with teenagers. You know what they said? What a waste. What a, all that talent, and you're going to waste it on teenagers. Can I tell you this? Wasting my life for Jesus has never been more fun. Come on, somebody say value. That perfume represents value. Your values change when you meet Jesus. Mary's life was totally turned upside down. And what Judas thought was a waste, Mary said, there's nothing greater I can give. The most important, most expensive, my trust and my security, my finances are not held in this bottle. I'm putting it all out on Jesus. Some of you need to release things you've been holding on to. Come on now, I'm talking to somebody. There's been fear. Well, I feel prophetically I'm speaking to somebody right now. There's fear that's been hovering over your life, and you've been thinking about your future and your security, and God's saying, if you'll release what's in your hands, if you'll pour it out on me, then I'll take care of you. You see, perfect love casts out all fear. You don't have to be afraid of the future when you know that your future is held in the hand of a sovereign God. Come on, can I have a better amen? Don't just be open because you can be closed again. But if you're broken, you'll be poured out. Jesus is worth it. Mary said, Jesus is worth it. I, I thought about the hymn, I'd Rather Have Jesus. How many remembers that old song back in the day? Back in 1922, that hymn was written by Rhea F. Miller. I'd Rather Have Jesus more than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Yes, I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus more than anything this world affords today. Mary gave us this picture that says Jesus is worth it. 
He's worth every hurt, every heartache, every disappointment, every criticism. Come on, every personal attack, Jesus is worth it. Every person who second-guessed you or came against you, every weapon that's been formed against you and your family, Jesus is worth it. Every sickness you've had to endure, come on, somebody. All the battles that you've ever faced, every Goliath that has ever taunted you, come on now, the devil that has come against you, I want you to know the power of Jesus inside of you is greater, and he's worth every sacrifice. What do you need to pour out on Jesus today? What what, what seal needs to be broken in your life and poured out on the creator and the lover of your soul? You see, when you think about it, sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Are you with me? Sacrifice is giving up what you love for what you love even more. But let me ask you this. If you get back... More than you give up, is it really a sacrifice? I don't think Mike Heyman has sacrificed anything. Because whatever I've given up for Jesus, I've gotten back greater. It's been multiplied. That blessing has come back to me great. Whatever I had to say no to, Jesus' yes has been ten times greater than every no I've ever had to say. Are you with me? You see that, that jar of perfume represents value. And Jesus is worth it. He's worth it all. One day we'll stand before him and we'll say, Lord, it was worth it all. Look at what it says in verse 12. Skip on down to verse 12. Same chapter, John chapter 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and they went down the road to meet him and they shouted, Praise God. Come on, somebody say praise God. Praise God. God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Now here's the second picture. We move from this perfume to these palm branches. Palm branches. And that's why we call it Palm Sunday. The Bible says that Jesus upon Passover, was coming into the city of Jerusalem. And my mind, as I'm reading this again, it goes back to my visit to Israel about a year and a half ago. I literally walked the path, they say, that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem. And history tells us that the city of Jerusalem was maybe 100,000 people. That was their population. But during the time of Passover, the population swelled to 3 million people people. There were people everywhere, and the city streets were buzzing and alive. And here comes Jesus, and he's not riding on a stallion, but he's sitting on a humble little donkey. The Bible says they took off their garments, and and they laid them along the sides of the streets, and they, they took these palm branches, and they started waving palm branches. And one translation says they shouted, Hosanna. Somebody say, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? It means save now. That here comes the king that's going to save his people and free them from Roman military occupation. They had one definition of salvation, but Jesus had another. It wasn't just political salvation. It was salvation that man could never take away. It's salvation of their soul. The Bible says that they took these palm branches and they begin to wave them. Why is that significant? 
because it was in reference to some Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah 55, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, the Bible says that the trees would clap their hands in expectation of the arrival of the king. Come on, somebody. What does the palm branch mean? The palm branch is all about praise. It's, it's all about celebration. It's all about acknowledging that our king is coming. Can I have a good amen? You see, in the presence of a king, everything changes. Come on, are you with me? Man, sometimes we struggle through problems and we go through our day-to-day, but when the king shows up, man, something changes in the atmosphere. And the city of Jerusalem was lined with people and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These palm branches represent praise. Now, there's a Hebrew word for praise that is literally the word Shabbat. The word Shabbat means to shout. Now, I know this may make some of us uncomfortable in church. Some of you are used to coming from the little quiet church down the road. Man, what's up with all this excitement? What's up with all the, it's so loud in here and lights and all these instruments. And the guy next to me is scaring me. He's doing jumping jacks for Jesus up in here. What's up with this church? Hey, and I, look, I hear it. I'm in the same city that you're in. I know what they say about us. But if we're going to be crazy, how about we be crazy for Jesus, huh? They're going to talk about us anyway. Let's give them something to really talk about. The word praise in Hebrew, one of the words is Shabbat, which means to make a loud announcement or to shout. Now, last time I checked, we all live in here in South Louisiana. How many of you got some crazy folk in your family? How many of you are related to some rowdy people? Oh, yes, you are. How many know we go to a football game and we're not whispering? You have a crawfish boil at your house and the family comes over. How many of you know it's loud? Oh, yeah. Some of you, I've seen you. Your kids are playing t-ball in our sports league and you're not quiet on those bleachers. But there's something that comes out. Listen, if we'll celebrate at a football game, at a crawfish boil, at a t-ball game, why would we come to church? Come on now. My Bible says in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. How many know how to make some noise? Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Come on. Pastor, pastor, not sure how I feel about this. I'm not saying you have to be all, if you're an introvert, okay, listen, this house is still for you. I promise you, if, if, during worship, if you, if you get excited and all you want to do is tap your big toe inside your shoe so nobody knows but you and God, that is okay, all right? 
The Bible says in Psalm 47, verse 1, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 84, 2, the Bible says, with my whole being, my body and my soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Psalm 63, 3, the Bible says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live, and I will lift up my hands to your name. Last night, if you're reading through the one-year Bible, we're in, in the book of Joshua. And then Joshua, we, we've just now, we've crossed over into the promised land, and we're about to take the city of Jericho. I read it last night, Joshua 6, 5. The Bible says, when you hear the priest give one long blast of the ram's horns, have all the people do what? Okay, it didn't say, have all the people whisper. No, no, the Bible says, when you hear the blast of the ram's horns, when the priest sound the alarm, shout as loud as you can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, let me tell you, what Jericho are you up against? You better march around that city. You see, some of you think you've been going in circles. No, 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 you're not going in circles. You're marching around your Jericho. Now, what you need to do as you're marching, you need to give a shout because when your praise goes up, those walls come down. Come on. Can somebody say hallelujah? <laughs> I love it. This place ought to be alive. When you come to church on a Sunday and listen, I, man, we're not mourning. This is not a funeral service. Last time I checked, Jesus. Now, they put him in a grave, but you know what? Jesus ain't there. Man, we are celebrating the life, the dynamic move of the Spirit of God when you come into the house of... Do you know in the Old Testament, check this out, in the Old Testament, the priests, they literally wore bells at the hem of their garment. The robes that they wore, it required them to have bells on the very end of it. Now think, so as they're doing their work in the temple, they're jingling all the way. It's okay to come into the house of God and say, but Mike, you don't know my circumstances, but you, you don't know my battles, but you don't know what I'm up against, but you have no idea about my finances, my marriage, my child. My, listen, I don't, but I promise you this, don't let your circumstances determine your song. If you'll shout unto God with a voice of triumph, watch those walls begin to fall. Are you with me? See, the perfume represents value. The palm branches represent praise. But then there's this last picture that I want you to see. I want you to see this plant, and I want you to see these seeds. And I want to read this last portion to you. Is this helping anybody today? This third picture... Now, think about it. He's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. They're, they're shouting, Hosanna. Here comes the king. And instead of talking about his reign as a king, listen to his conversation. We'll ask the, the guys to come up, and we can wrap this up. John 12, verse 23. Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel, somebody say kernel, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. 
a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it, but those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Here's what I want you to see in this final picture. It's amazing how the conversation of Jesus is not about his reign as a king, but it's about his sacrifice as a savior. Jesus coming into Jerusalem and he knows what's in front of him. He knows that he will be turned over to the Romans. That in, in the hand of the Romans, he will be beaten. He'll be tortured. He'll be mocked. Everybody who's cheering for him now, they'll turn against him in just a few days. And Jesus is talking about his sacrifice as a savior. You know, this plant represents hope. I want you to see this. In this little jar right here are plenty of seeds. You know, the plant doesn't start here. The plant ends here. But you know where it starts? It starts right here in this seed. And this seed is so small. It's got a hard outer shell. But there's something inside of this seed. It's a thing called hope. Hope is wrapped up in the smallest of seeds. And here's what I felt in my spirit. Some of you have come to church today and you're desperate. All you need is a seed of hope. Tell you what, a seed for everything you need is right here. You see, this seed has to go into the ground. Jesus would be buried. But here's what the devil miscalculated. You don't bury a seed you plant it. Come on, you with me? Put Jesus in the ground, roll a stone in front of his tomb, and you've, you've sealed it and guarded it with Roman soldiers. How many of you know that can't hold Jesus down? But you take a seed and you plant it into the earth, and Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But when that seed goes into the crown, I'm telling you, there's something that happens underneath the earth's surface, and you don't see it with the naked eye. Come on. But underneath the soil, something is taking place. Dirt covers the seed, so the miracle happens in obscurity. Come on now. Some of you, you can't see anything happening in your life right now. You have prayed. You have petitioned God. You've come to church. You've been faithful in your giving. You've, you've been in a small group. You've partnered with others. And, I mean, you don't see anything happening. Something's happening underneath the surface. If you'll just trust God, stay planted in his word. Don't dig up what, what you've planted in faith. Don't dig up in doubt. Come on, somebody. Uh, come on, that's for somebody. What you have planted in faith, don't dig it up in doubt. Keep that thing under the, 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 the soil of God's sovereignty because there's coming a day when that seed's going to sprout. You know, I was here the other day and, and uh, watching some of these landscaping guys, and we've got a beautiful piece of property here on Highland Road. I was watching the guys, and they were cutting the grass and man, getting everything looking just great for this weekend. Greenup does a fantastic job. But I noticed these guys, they had this little backpack on, and they were spraying weeds in the parking lot. You know, even when you pour concrete on top of dirt, if there's seed, come on now, if there's life underneath, you say, Mike, man, the soil is so heavy. Put concrete on top of it, and it still can't hold it down because there's life in the seed. 
And the Bible says that Jesus is the eternal seed. Bury him and he doesn't go away. You bury him and his spirit multiplies throughout the earth. And 2,000 years later, guess what? Through you and through me, seeds of hope continue to sprout. The seed of hope. His name is Jesus. The scripture says the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, it dwells in you and in me. Amen. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.